0: Welcome to Celebration Church to our Wednesday night Bible study. This is the final study for this part of the year. We take off for the summer, and all the Green Bay and Wisconsin people said, Amen. (laughs) For those of you who listen to us around the world, especially those in the southern hemisphere, why would you stop? Because our weather is so dreadful, and we get such a short summer. We don't want to be in here. I don't want to be in here. All right? Now, I must admit, our weather has been so dreadful lately. I just said, what is it with this? It's like the end of days is upon us, and oh, it's so dreadful. In theory, the sun's going to come out in a couple of weeks, I don't know, sometime. And when that happens, none of us want to be inside anymore, and we're going to be outside and uh having fun with family and friends, so this is the last study, uh, we'll pick it up again, uh, I believe the first Wednesday in September, somewhere around there, whatever, so stay tuned. Anyway, we uh, have been going through the New Testament, <clears throat> one verse at a time, we've made quite a bit of headway, actually, we are now on the, in the final books that the Apostle Paul writes when he's in prison uh, in Rome. After this, uh, he doesn't, we don't get any more books written by him. There's some debate as to whether or not he was just there for two years and got released and uh, visited some more churches or that, but we don't know. Others say that at this point, this is when he gets martyred, or if there was a break, then he was rearrested and martyred. All we know is that he's in Rome for these two years. He's writing these final books. It's the last <clears throat> that we hear from the beloved apostle, what an incredible man this guy is. Huh? He personally winds up writing the bulk of the New Testament, which is amazing. What's stunning about it is he was not a disciple of Jesus when Jesus was on the earth. Isn't that wild? I mean, it's, and then I think God does this intentionally to prove that faith is not based on what we think it is. You know, gee, if we really spent time with Jesus, we'd be a lot more spiritual than if we hadn't, right? Oh, if I had just really known Jesus and he was here and I could sit and talk with him like they did back then, oh, how much better off we would be and stuff like that. When uh, we see the greatest example of spirituality and stuff is from someone who never met Jesus <laughs> or as far as we know, never saw him or did any of his miracles or anything like that. So, uh, you know, we will eventually hear from Peter uh, he was there, he saw it, uh, we'll hear from uh, John. John writes several uh, epistles, and of course the book of Revelation, he was their first eyewitness, but most of it isn't written by first-hand uh, people, which is quite stunning when you just stop and think about it. So anyway, it just goes to show that even though we haven't ever personally seen Jesus walk on the earth or anything like that, the same faith that Paul had the same faith we have. You know, if it would all been written just by the apostles and disciples who had actually lived and walked with Jesus, it would be easy to get a sense, well, gee, you know, if I'd have been there or they had an advantage that we don't have. But that's not the case. The book of the New Testament is written by someone. Not only did he not live and, and walk with Jesus, uh, he was the first persecutor of Christians. Uh, he was behind the uh, stoning or approved of the first stoning of Stephen his whole mission in life was to go find Christians and kill them all and force them to recant. Uh, in fact, it was on his way uh, uh, to do this when he, he has this encounter with the living Christ and uh, becomes a Christian and becomes this incredible firebrand. Anyway, so we're, we're getting to the end now of, of uh, his writings. Uh, we, he's now uh, writing the letter to the Ephesian, the Ephesian church, which he would spent Uh, quite some time with them there, Uh, and uh, we were in uh, chapter one, stopped off about verse 19, we'll back up just a little bit to verse 17 uh, to put it in context. He's writing to these believers, he says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Secondly, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And thirdly, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we were here about... Uh, this is really a process that goes throughout our whole Christian life experience. If you're growing in your faith, you should constantly, light should be constantly turning on. (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, I hadn't seen that before. Oh, so some of you who are new Christians, you're thinking, oh, I'm learning so many new things. You know, this is really something. You got to understand, this keeps happening for all of us. Even those of us who've read these same verses over and over and over and over again, we'll read it again, and all of a sudden, another light goes on. Oh, I hadn't thought of it in that way. And this is why we grow in our faith. So you do this intentionally. That's why people who go to church all the time, come to Bible studies and things like this all the time, grow in their faith and become more successful in life than those who don't. Uh, and for the life of me, I mean, I don't know what it's going to take uh, for people to take these things more seriously. Uh, usually something really bad has to happen to people before they take stuff like this seriously. It's awful. It's just terrible that it, that that's what is required, but uh, as much as I preach and teach on this and emphasize this and remind this, our churches, like the majority of churches in America, that when it comes to Bibles and study like this, a very small percentage of our congregation actually comes. And even by and large, the large accounts that we have on uh, Sunday, even that kind of waves because we, a great part of our congregation, as with a lot of congregations in America. Just, it's the narcissism of the Christian experience today. People are so selfish, and they just, they bring Jesus in when it, you know, it's convenient, when there's nothing else to do, there's no sporting event, and there's nothing on television. Let's go to church, you know. And then their wife, life winds up, sometimes their wife, their life winds up, <laughs> winds up stinking, and it's awful, and everything's awful in their lives, and they're shocked, and amazed, and then I just shake my head. I just, you know, what's it gonna take, I don't know. Anyway, this idea of constantly growing in your faith, the idea of these light bulbs constantly turning on, seeing things you hadn't been seeing before. Sometimes just being reminded of something uh, is a very, very powerful thing, which is what Peter talks about when we eventually get to Peter's first epistle. So anyway, so all that. So, you know, what does he want us to see? Number one, that we might know the hope that which he's called us to, to realize what this is. The riches that come to us as believers, the riches. Of, so that's why your life keeps getting better and better the more you get into this. You start understanding the great blessings of God that he has for you. And by faith, you start experiencing it in, in, in real life. And I mean, because it, it your life just gets better. And then he ends with the incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, that power that he's talking about is not like a, you know, 9-volt battery Okay, it's not even like the 12-volt battery with all the amperage that you have to start your car He says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead That's a lot of power. All right, that's the kind of power that we can tap into That kind of power tends to change things All right if I plug you into a 9-volt battery, it might, you know, it's like you don't have much of a response. I take my 12-volt battery from the car and go, D-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d. you're going to move. You know what I'm saying? I plug you into the wall, you won't be dancing. I mean, it's, it's a, the greater the power, the more it affects change. And this is the incredible power. You say, man, how do you begin to even comprehend that? Well, that's what he's writing. I'm praying that God will open your eyes and your understanding so that we can begin to understand what that power is and how to tap into it, because this is no small deal, this power that we have. Say, Pastor, I want to understand it all overnight. A lot of luck with that, all right? I'm I'm still grasping it. Oh, oh, you start to understand more, and you start to understand more. So uh, don't get discouraged that you don't get it all right away. And keep praying. You can pray this very same prayer for yourself. Lord, open my eyes. Open my heart. Help me to understand the hope that I plugged into here. The riches that are available to me. And the power that is in my life to change my circumstances. Help me to understand it and to realize that. uh, It's a good prayer to pray. So anyway, he's talking about us and what this means. And as soon as he talks about the power of raising Jesus from the dead, he gets totally sidetracked. (laughs) And now he just starts talking about Jesus. Which, of course, he's very passionate about. So... Uh, that mighty power is the same power as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked. I mean, He's not talking about us anymore. Not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed... All things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So you can see the dramatic shift in the focus of of the paragraph. He loves Jesus. And as soon as he starts talking about that, boy, he goes off into what all this is about. And it's, it's a great little section here because it just keeps reminding to us. In the church, this is all about Jesus. All of this is about Jesus. We are not a Christian country club. All right? Oh, there's a lot of clubs, right? There's some great, some great clubs in our community. Like some of you, I, in fact, I wish more people in our church would get plugged into our community with, you know, optimist clubs and all kinds of, all kinds of things you can do in town and, or whatever town that you live in. I know a lot of people live, in, you know, Point, Appleton, even here, all over the place in the hinterlands. Uh, you know, get involved in your community and stuff like that and, 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 and plug in. I think it's, it's a good thing to do. Uh, But that's not what this is. We're not a club like this. This is a church where we are plugging into the power of Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's all about honoring him, serving him, celebrating him, and proclaiming him to the world around us. And encouraging each other in that knowledge. That's really what this is about. So now he goes back, as for you, so he switches back to us again. (laughs) He's talking about us, and, and now he comes back. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who is he talking about? Satan, yes, all right. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. There is a very powerful evil spirit out there. And why? Why? we try to remind and emphasize when you pray, when you're doing any kind of spiritual exercise, to focus in completely and totally on Jesus and do things in the name of Jesus. To open oneself up to the spirit of the air. <laughs> the spirit of the universe. Who's that? Who's that gonna be? Who are you gonna plug into? You know, you literally open yourself up to demonic spirits oh, well, no, that's not been my experience. Yeah, I don't know if you really know what your experience has been. I'm telling you. Uh, the Bible says Satan appears oftentimes as an angel of light. Ooh, he's so pretty. He's so bright. And remember, by the way, Lucifer is apparently quite good looking. The idea of him running around like little horns on his head with a red skin and a big serpent-like tail coming out of his butt. Uh, That's not exactly the picture of Satan. Satan, his original name Lucifer, was the most beautiful angel in eternity. Wow. All right. I mean, this is like a yo mama good-looking dude. All right. In fact, he was so good-looking, he became obsessed with himself. You know, you you hear the old Greek stories of narcissists. That's where we get the words, narcissism. Here's a guy who was looking in the pool and he became obsessed with his own reflection. Wow, what a beautiful pool. Who is that good-looking guy? (laughs) You know, well, this is Lucifer. And he's, so, when he wants to appear as an angel of light, don't kid yourself, boy. This guy can put on quite the sparkle show. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he has, Wow. The potential to be very impressive. Now, it tends to be very short-lived and always ends in death because that's his goal. But just because something is warm and fuzzy and cool on the outside, uh, you need to be careful. That's why you need to plug into the spirit of Jesus. (laughs) Speaking of unexpected sparkle, (laughs) I didn't tell you this story, but we were in Costa Rica a few weeks ago. And uh, some guy is, we are, we're renting this house. It's a big Yo Mama house. I mean, it's like, wow. You know, in your wildest dreams kind of place. And they got this beautiful infinity pool that goes out and, and the ocean's right there and stuff like that. And it's up on the side of this mountain. And, you know, wow, really, really nice place. The kind of place you can afford for all of six days. You know, that kind of thing. So, um, <laughs> well, some guy uh, was having a, a party because his kids were uh, getting married and they were having a wedding celebration. And Pops apparently had quite the jack, okay? And he had money and he's spending money like a drunken monkey. This, this party's going on for, for days. And he, he'd taken a whole hotel, like a Four Seasons. I mean, we're not talking, you know, Super 8 here, Okay. <laughs> We're talking, I mean, so he buys the whole freaking hotel for all the the people to come and they're having this party and stuff like that. Well, then on this Friday night, about midnight, to celebrate everything, he has a fireworks display. Now, imagine your city's firework display. Even Green Bay's firework display wasn't jack squat compared to this thing. You know how they do the big finale at the end in the cities and then like for all of 15 seconds, it's really something? This thing went off and it was like that nonstop for 15, 20 minutes. I mean, but we didn't know it was coming. Okay? So, So, you know, we're going to sleep. We are, we're out cold, 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 cold. Now, I don't know if you've ever, you know, been like, let's take Green Bay, for example. I don't know where you guys need to bear with us. But uh, in Green Bay, if you can get right downtown, like almost right underneath where they are. I mean, that's the coolest, right? I mean, if you can uh, get your boat, you know, I have my boat, but you can never get that close. Anymore. They chase us all off. But, uh, used to be get really close. All right, one time I had my boat. Uh, at the Marine at the Holiday Inn down there, remember? And that was like front row seats. That was like sit on the top of the boat and boom, right in your face. I mean, all right. So now how high those things go, that's about as high as our house is on the side of this hill. So it's not like you're looking up to see the fireworks you're looking like this. Ah! I mean, so these things go off. And again, this is far and, because ex- you know how much these cities, they pay like 40 grand a year, right over 50, 60 grand. This guy had to drop hundreds of thousands of dollars just for the stupid fireworks. Because this thing was, you know, it was like New York City. It was no small deal. Far greater than anything I've ever seen in Wisconsin, I guarantee you. We're in bed. And all of a sudden, it, it's like, you know, North Korea has invaded the, the beaches. <laughs> I mean, boom, 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 boom. And I mean, the house is just... Like, and my wife sits up and goes, what is that? <laughs> ah, I mean, oh, I'm telling you, we, we could have gone on to seeing Jesus right then and there and I come running outside and it was the coolest looking thing, I, man, I'm telling you. So I'm like walking out and it's like right there. This thing's going, I don't know how they can even do that. Well, Costa Rica, you know. I was gonna say, legally can you do that? Apparently they didn't have laws about that. So this thing is going off right outside. And for 15, 20 minutes I stood there going. I mean, it was cool. It was cool, all right? What's this got to do with any of this? The, the devil can come across like that. When you, I mean, when he wants to go cool, he can go cool. It's fascinating. Ooh, it glows. Ooh, it explodes. Ooh, it's coming at me. I mean, that kind of thing. And that's Satan, the ruler of the air, That's why, don't be opening yourself up to the spirits of the universe and all this nonsense. You focus in, we pray specifically in Jesus' name and connect with him. All right, so all that he says now, so you were at one time dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used, you know, uh, following the the kingdom of the prince of the air and stuff like that. Now all of us also, all of us, he says, also lived... among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. And those there's all people at some point. You just, we all become selfish without Christ, without God in our lives, and we do sinful things and we do things basically to gratify ourselves. Now, granted, at varying levels and degrees, uh, some of us, we're not really all that horrible, but it's nonetheless, we're involved in just being selfish. Some of us, you don't have PhDs in, in, in flesh and selfishness and alcoholism and drugs and all that kind of stuff. I mean, in our congregation, the experience varies wildly. <laughs> if you knew who was sitting next to you right now, you'd move over a few seats. I'm saying there's, I mean, some people. So even though there's at varying levels that some people did these things, we all, at some level, even if just in our hearts, remember Jesus said, you know, hey, you heard you shouldn't commit adultery. I'm telling you so much as sit there and imagine this in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. Well, that sinks a whole lot of us, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, uh, so at some level, we all are living in sin without God, without Christ in our lives, giving ourselves to fleshly desires, following its desires and thoughts, Like the rest, talking about people without God, we were by nature deserving of wrath. You know, pastor, do I deserve to go to heaven? We all deserve to go to hell. That's what we deserve. Um, But it's by God's grace that we get into heaven, you see. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, thank God, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, which is a fancy word for sins, transgressions. It is by grace, he says, that you've been saved. You, so you can't earn this. So what he says, we were all like this, dead in trespasses and sins, and made alive alive in Christ. Now we often talk, when we talk about baptism and stuff like that, that when you, uh, you come to Christ, you die to the old life, and you live now to the new life. You know, and they're just analogies. Analogies can be imperfect at times. Uh, But you're supposed to get the point of what that is. But sometimes when you say that, it makes it sound like you were really alive and then you died to that and now you have a new life in Christ. The truth is, without Christ, you're not really alive anyway, okay? Certainly not spiritually. Every man, woman, and child, well, we're all children at the front point. All of us who were born into this earth are born still born because of the sin of Adam and Eve. When they rebelled against God and sin came into the world, uh, They died spiritually. Remember, he says, in the day you do this, you will die. Well, they lived for hundreds of years. They didn't fall over dead. What? Did God make a mistake? No, they died. He was talking about spiritually. They died. This part of them. Remember, we are made in the image of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. We too are, or we also have three in one, body, soul, spirit. Well, the spirit, the the spiritual life force in them died on that day. And ever since then, every person born in the world is born spiritually stillborn. Uh, it is that part, if you'll reflect a little bit, and, and uh, if you've never really come to faith in Christ, everybody can understand what I'm about to say. Without God in your life, everybody can tell there's something missing. What they'll argue with you about is what it is, that they'll debate. We say, it's you're still born and you need to be born again, Jesus said. You need to let Christ bring your spirit to life. Uh, most of the world will reject that because it is what it is. But they do not deny that they all sense something is wrong. And they try to find ways of fixing it. And it's basically that song where you're looking for love in all the wrong places. And that's what they're doing. And they're thinking, well, if I you know find someone the right man or woman in my life that'll fix it. We all know stories about people who do like that. Some of you have been that story. Uh, Others, you know, the appeal for drugs, alcohol, the next coolest, wildest drug. Why are people drawn to these things? They are trying to fix what is wrong. You see, people who are full don't eat, generally speaking, okay? You're, well, some of us do, but I'm just... But, <laughs> But you certainly don't steal You see what I'm saying? It's, it's when you're hungry that you want to eat. When you're hungry, you want to steal bread and that kind of thing. People who are full don't steal bread because they're full. Uh, the reason why people do these things, the drugs, the alcohol, the partying, the immorality, the adulterous affairs, that it goes on and on and on and on, is because they can sense something is wrong. And they're trying to fix what is wrong. What the Bible's teaching us, what you're feeling and sensing, is that you're spiritually dead there's something wrong inside and they're trying desperately. That's why there's even other religions. The other religions know this state exists so they don't want to believe in Jesus, they'll believe in Muhammad, they'll believe in Buddha, they'll believe in... Him. I mean, there's all the gazillion versions of this where people are, are trying to find something and opening themselves to the spirit of the universe and we're right back there again. They're trying to fix this thing but it doesn't fix it. Anything they come up with is very temporary, and you need more, and you got to go deeper trying to find something uh, that'll do it. And people who are very devout in other religions, some of them way more devout than even those of us who are Christians. I mean, there's some seriously devout religious people out there who, you know, they they really get into it. Uh, But they'll admit (laughs) they still haven't gotten there. They haven't achieved it. They're just trying to find God. They're trying to meet God. They're trying to experience God through all this. And of course, the promise of the religion is if you keep doing this, you'll eventually reach, you'll be at the state of nirvana or whatever. They're constantly chasing this experience. What Paul says here is, look, what this is is sin. We have all been into the transgressions of sin. It's what brings death. Uh, But thank God, through his grace, we have now been brought into life. That's uh, what we celebrate as Christians. We use the phrase of, well, many phrases, being born again, you know, seeing the light. You know. I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, he got religion, you know, whatever different phrases people use. But what it is is you can tell something's different. Something's different now in me. Something's changed. Some, some, some of y'all don't even really understand what's happened to you. But you know, wow, which is the wonderful thing about Christianity. See, i said this many times. Every other religion in the world and every other effort in the world is desperately going through all kinds of rituals and stuff like that, trying to experience God. And they read and they study and they discipline and they chant and they fast and do all these things. But yet they never really experience God. Christianity is exactly the opposite, where you begin by experiencing God. Even though you don't know Jack. You don't know anything about the Bible. That's why you're here, to learn. That kind of thing. So it's totally different than everything else. Once you encounter Christ, that's what changes you. That's what turns you uh, into a different person. Now granted, we need to grow. There's still elements of the old self that we still have to deal with. And we talk about it all the time. (laughs) There's people who are very gifted at pushing all your buttons (laughs) and bringing out the (laughs) nasty side of you, Right? Oh, then I'm not a Christian. No, 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 you're, you're, you're fine. Just, you still have issues. <laughs> we all have issues, right? That God's still working on us. Again, the great phrase, the statement, I'm not what I ought to be, but thank God, I'm not what I used to be, all right? Because of this continuing sanctifying power is the biblical phrase of the Holy Spirit in us doing all this. So this is what he's talking about, okay? So, um, and it is by grace that you've been saved. Um, let's read the next couple of verses, then I'm gonna come back to them. But uh, it says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I will come back to those two verses. But I wanna continue now with verse eight because it ties in what he was just saying. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith, this is how this happens. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not by works so that no one can boast. I figured this out. I prayed enough prayers. I was a nice enough person. That's why I should be able to go to heaven. That's not the way this works. And the millions of people, even millions of Christian Christians who still think this way is stunning, they just don't get it. To get so close to the truth and still never get it must just be so sad to God's point of view. It's not by works that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're supposed to do good works, but it's not good works that saves us. Now, this phrase is like the key phrase that launched the, uh, the Reformation. You know, In the 1500s or whenever that was, Martin Luther came along uh, because the Catholic Church at that time, there was really only one church, it was just the Catholic Church, the Christian Church, uh, had totally changed Christianity, and parts of them still to this day, and, but they're not the only ones. There's a lot of them, Do a lot of older traditional churches make it all about what you do to get into heaven, right? You got to be baptized and you got to be this and you got to be that and you got to go to this and make sure you come to church on these special holy days and you know, da 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 da, da and you know, uh, do penance for your sins and work hard enough and, and they had gotten to the point, uh, it's not their highest, and I don't say this to be mean to Catholics, but they know it was not their highest moment. Uh, they were selling indulgences, which means uh, you could buy forgiveness of sins. That's how they raise all the money for the Vatican. When you look at the Vatican, if you ever get a chance to go to the Vatican, by the way, if you're ever in Rome, you really ought to go see it. I was talking to someone the other day. They were to Rome. I said, you go to the Vatican. Now we looked at other stuff. Really? You have got to go to the Vatican. It is impressive. I mean, you we're talking at one point, that was the wealth of the world. This is no small office building. <laughs> you know, this is, you know huge, massive place with the artwork, the statues, the buildings. It is stunning off the chart. And it's all surrounded by this massive wall, which I think is hilarious when the Pope yells at Donald Trump for wanting to build a wall. (laughs) Dude, you got a wall, all right? So I mean, uh, and they're their own nation. It's the smallest nation on earth. That city is literally its own nation. And it's very, very impressive. But the way they raised all the money for this, they'd gotten to the point where they were selling, and that was their thing. They went all throughout the Christian world selling indulgences. You know, have you forgiven all your sins? Have you confessed all your sins? Have you done pen- penance for all your sins? Well, of course, the answer is no. Well, you need this indulgences. And, and if you, you know, for a donation of whatever, I'll give you this piece of paper signed by the Pope or whatever that will forgive you of your sins and stuff like that. So they were raising huge amounts of money doing this, Uh, Martin Luther and a lot of others were getting really disturbed by some of these practices. And What the heck is going on? And they started really looking at the scriptures. And again, back in those days, not everybody had even the scriptures to to look at. Uh, Luther was part of the uh, uh, priesthood and stuff like that, and they had access to the scriptures. These were highly intelligent men who spoke multiple languages fluently. Latin was one of them. They spoke Greek flat. So they literally went back and looked at the Greek and Latin texts of the new testament and started reading scriptures like this for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith it is not from yourself it is the gift of god not by works so that no one can boast and that's when the light starts going on and saying we have erred from this and then they had this big confrontation with the catholic church and everybody had this big fight and then you got the lutherans and the catholics and the catholics persecuted the lutherans and if you ever see a lutheran movie about it the catholics are just evil uh, and then the Lutherans start killing the Anabaptists because they didn't like them. And just, <laughs> everybody's killing everybody for the longest time. It's one of the main reasons people came to America, if you'll think about it, this is about our history, right? You can go to America, why well, didn't kill you for your religion. Praise the Lord. Christians, I don't know what in the world they were thinking. Let's fight for righteousness, and if you don't agree with me, I'll burn you at the stake. And they're like, all of them were guilty of this nonsense, and very few were not. From the one to the other to the others, so it was just nuts. Uh, but that's when, you know, it wasn't soon after that, the Gutenberg press came along, and they started having copies of the New Testament, and they were getting into the hands of everybody, and everybody's now able to read this, because up at this point, nobody could read it except for the priests, and they're going, wait a minute, he's right. So that's where the big reformation came, and then you got this big rush of Protestantism, uh, and to this day, we have Protestants and we have Catholics. Now, again, Catholics are not many of them, do get this, some actually teach it, uh, but it's not just Catholics, I'm not trying to pick on Catholics, there's so many old churches, that's their deal. You gotta do this, and you gotta do that, and if you do this, and you do that, and you do, 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 and then maybe you get into heaven. They've missed the point, that's not how you get into heaven. There's some Lutheran churches, which is really ironic, who get into this, when their whole start was, it's not about all this, because <laughs> they can get into the same ritualistic expression And they think, well, I'm okay because I did all the... It's not about what you do. It's about faith in God, surrendering your life to Christ, and letting the Spirit of God come into your life and bring new life into you. Then, now, you should do good things. So you notice the salvation comes first, and then the works. Because he goes on, he says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. So we're supposed to be the nicest bunch of people in the world. And we're supposed to feed the poor and clothe the naked and put in wells and help orphanages and all the stuff that we do uh, for people through our ministry and other Christian ministries all over the world, the hospitals and stuff. All all these are wonderful things uh, that have really had a dramatic impact on, on this world. As much as atheists and stuff don't like Christians, you know, you take Christianity away, you realize how much education would have disappeared? I mean, even Harvard and these big, I believe they all started out as theological seminaries. It was all Christianity. You take away Christianity and remove all the Catholic and Baptists and all the hospitals and stuff around the world, even to this day, you'd be in big trouble. There are not enough secular hospitals to meet the need. I mean, So Christians have been called for a long time to do good works, and it's good that we do it. But we have to be careful to realize we're not doing this to earn God's love, and we're not doing this to earn salvation. You can't earn it, it is a gift from God. Now, back up, and let's look at verse six and seven. It says, talking about how, you know, uh, what Christ has done in our life, and then God raised us up with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now there's, that can get real heavy, and there's some preachers who love to preach on this kind of stuff. I'm not one of them because it goes over my head. They they get really heavy into the tenses. Like earlier it says, we've received all blessings from Christ. We have received. They'll get into it and say, you don't need to pray God needs a bless you. You have to realize God's already blessed us. You don't need to ask God to lift you up. He's already lifted us. He has lifted us up. So they get in all the tenses of this and stuff. I don't, you know, it's above my pay grade and stuff like that. All, All I know is the thing that strikes me is the next verse. In other words, God's done all these incredible things. When he raised Christ, in a sense, he raised all of us. And when Christ is in heaven, in a sense, we're in heaven with him. How does that all work? Again, you need a bigger theologian to figure all that and explain it. Uh, But all of it, why? In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. So he's doing all of this for the ages to come. Now, it's been a long time since I've gone through this little intellectual exercise with you and I'm going to do it again. I just love doing it. just as, It's one of my things. But uh, I love to talk about, this is my own personal theory of why we are here. Why did God put life on this earth? What was the point? Surely he had to know that Adam and Eve would sin, right? And I'm sure he did. Well, then he was wrong to do it? No. He set everything up in a righteous way. They made their own choices, but he knew exactly what's going on. Why is all this happening? So, here's my version of all of this. Are you ready? Okay. So we know from the scriptures that uh, Satan, Lucifer, which we read in Isaiah. We could run through all the scriptures and stuff, but... uh, I'm just going to talk to you about it. Uh, where Lucifer was in heaven with God. He was called the morning star, wasn't he, or whatever he was. So that was this his thing. He's way up on the food chain up there. I mean, he's, it's, he's a big deal. You know, I was looking at one of these coffee cups the other day. I'm kind of a big deal, you know. That was Satan. I'm kind of, I'm, a, I'm kind of, so he's like a big yo mama deal in heaven. His beauty is beyond compare. He, really gets full of himself. And as we all know, he sets out to rebel against God. Now what's fascinating, and I don't hear people talk about this very often, is why? What did he say to get people to follow him? Because he succeeded in, do you know how much of heaven he convinced to do this? One third. third. Now I don't know how big heaven is, but just looking at all the mosquitoes we have on earth, I'd say there's a lot. You know, I mean, there's, God's in the stuff. You know. it has to, this has got to be huge, massive. He talks a third of angels in heaven into thinking this isn't good enough. Now, it's one thing for him to fool us because, quite frankly, life on this rock sucks, all right? You grow up, you know, you're born, you got to learn to walk, you know, and then there's the whole potty training thing. You know, then he gets zits in high school. That's traumatizing. You know, like all this stuff. you got to go through life. And I mean, this is hard. All right? You got to work and things don't work out. And you just when you think you're totally secure, you lose your job, right? I mean, that happens to everybody, right? It's just when you think everything's good, pow, it hits the fan. Okay, so for Satan to come to us and get us to doubt, I mean, this has got to be a joke to him. You know, he's... He, this can't, I don't know why he even gets out of bed in the morning. It can't even be much of a challenge to fool us a bunch of nitwits. How do you convince someone in heaven that this sucks? Right? This is heaven. I've heard it's a rather impressive place. That life is pretty good. We're all very much focused on getting there. Okay? How do you convince a third of the angels, this isn't good. We got out of, we got it. So we know that he convinced them to rebel. What we don't know was what was his argument. What did he say to them to make them want to rebel? We know his personal motivation. He was enamored by how good looking he was. I am the coolest looking angel in eternity. I ought to be in charge, right? Okay, great. But what do you say to others to buy? I don't think he came around and said, guys, I'm really good looking, follow me. I don't think that was his argument. He had to come up with something that got people to doubt God. Number one, I assume he has to doubt. This is based on what we still hear and struggle with in our heads today. Does God really love me? I don't think this is a new argument. I think he comes up with this. Does God really care? Is he on your side? All this stuff that we hear, still struggling today, I think is the same arguments. Well, we know uh, Satan's argument to Adam and Eve. And I I kid around and say, how long did it take Adam and Eve before they went to to the tree? I've assumed about forty-five minutes, and I'm serious. I'm like because we know that that happened before they even got around to having sex. Now I don't know about you, but that would have been at the top of my hit parade. I'm gonna tell you, I'm, the pig that I am, I will admit. Hey, baby, come over here. That's what I'd be thinking. So this thing happened before they even got around to it. So I don't think it was very long at all. And Satan comes to them, and he starts doubting what God told them. He gets them to doubt what God told them. Ah, you can't believe God. You can't. So this is the kind of thing, just the very thing that you struggle with. Can I really believe God? Can I really trust God? You know, if I do this, will God bless me? If I really give money in the offering, will he make my life better? You know, these, these And, of course, Satan's right there saying, nah. Nah. This stuff don't work. None of this works, you know. And, and that, that whole argument. So somewhere along the line, he fills people... With doubts about himself. Um, and then there's some great scriptures in the Old Testament. I was going to go into this, but we'd run out of time, surely. Uh, where the prophets had visions into heaven. Uh, two major. One was Isaiah. I, I can't remember who the other one was. I have to go look it up. But uh, uh, it, it has to do, they had a vision of heaven. And when they saw the picture of heaven, God is talking to everybody around the, heaven, in, around the throne going, what do you guys think we should do? What do you guys think we should do? And the Bible says one, one spirit suggested this and he goes, nah. Another spirit suggested that. One finally comes up with a plan that it had to do with Ahab. <laughs> that slime bag. King of Israel. He was evil. And he says, how are we going to kill Ahab? That was what God said. How are we going to kill this guy? And this guy comes up with this one spirit, comes up with this brilliant plan. God says, good, I like that. Let's do it. Then we see Isaiah. Isaiah looks in and God is asking the question again. Who are we going to send? Who are we gonna send? Stop and think about this. This is God. I'm pretty sure he knows who to send. I'm pretty sure he knows the best way to off Ahab. Right? But both pictures have, around the throne of God, God's asking, what do you guys think we should do? And I am absolutely, I think this is so key, and again, I could preach such a whole sermon on this, and I, I do it from time to time, I drift into this area. This whole idea that people are obsessed, that the whole Christian experience is just obey God. Do what God tells you to do. Do what God tells you to do. Just listen. Don't do nothing. Don't make a decision do you have a revelation. Till God speaks it. you know how much of Christianity teaches this. you know how many people out there can't do jack? They can't even volunteer because they're waiting for the Lord to tell them what to do. And it's not because they're evil people. They have been taught very bad things from the Christian church. This is absurd. Their version of heaven is God's up there just telling everybody what to do interesting when you read the Bible and see up there God's asking everybody else what do you think we should do now that's a dramatic difference than what we're told this is why prayer is so important in your life because in a sense God's looking at your life and saying what do you think we should do and if you never pray not much happens you need to come to God and say well father it'd be great if you did this because God loves to hear from his creation that's why he does this he knows I'm pretty sure he knows and he's asking the creation around him, what do you guys think we should do? And I love that, 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 that one with Ahab, where one spirit says, well, let's do it this way. And guy goes, nah. You don't think that happens to you? You ever been praying about stuff and nothing ever happens? That's because what you're saying, God's going, nah. What else you got? <laughs> Which is important for you to learn. When you're praying and praying and praying and something isn't changing, you need to change your prayer. Well, we're supposed to be consistent. Yeah, I get it. But when you've been at this for, I don't know, three, four years, and nothing's changed, or whatever, it doesn't even have to take that long, at some point, God should be answering your prayers. Like, you keep praying the same thing. God, get, and some people say, Pastor, I've been praying forever about this one thing, and why does not God answer my prayer? Because God answered it. He, he said no. No is an answer. Just like the angels. I mean, how depressing is that gotta be? You're an angel, you come to God, I got a great idea, and God goes, nah, that's stupid. <laughs> really, you gotta think, you're, you're a moron, right? Next angel goes, I got a great idea. And God goes, nah. So don't feel depressed. Even angels have this happen to them. Sometimes your version of what God should do in your life, God will listen to you and go, nah. What else you got? Well, God, how about, th- I'm serious. This is life empowering. If you really understand what prayer is about, it's like God is waiting to hear. This idea that Christianity is just you sit and wait till God tells you what to do, I think is baloney. It is not supported by scripture. Now, on occasion, God did speak. To, first of all, you're not Moses, okay? Once in a while, God would speak to a prophet and tell them exactly what to do. Even in the New Testament, a couple of, a couple of times, a handful of times, he'd speak to someone and say, I want you to do such and such, and then they go do it. But most of what Paul did in the New Testament, you don't see God telling him to do it. In fact, remember that whole trip where he went to Jerusalem? It was like every prophet along the way prophesied him not to go. He went anyway. This idea that, oh, I just got to wait for God to tell me. No, 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 no. Now, we know what God teaches. We need to obey his commands, but they're basic commands, basic morality. Don't hate people. Don't kill people. Don't have sex with your neighbor's wife. Stuff. I mean, this is real clear stuff that we should obey. But your day-to-day, like I just want God to tell me whether to work at Burger King or McDonald's. I don't think God cares. He wants to hear your version. Why do you think you should work at Burger King? And he might go, Nah, what else do you got? And then, right? You, and It's going to be a little frustrating. Keep picking on her. because <laughs> How long were you working at this job? 19 years. They decided the other day they don't need you anymore. Well, that kind of bites. But I don't think God went, well, I never saw that coming. I think God knew exactly that was coming. Okay, now that puts you in a place where you're leaning on God, right? Pray for her. Anyway, so, this whole thing. So, looking at that, I, if, <laughs> if you're Satan, And some of these angels, I can't see how you, at some point, don't start to wonder, I wonder if he knows what he's doing. Right? I mean, if every time you came to me and said, Pastor, what should you do? I I go, I don't know. What do you think we should do? At some point, you're going to go, I don't think the old boy knows what he's doing. All right? (laughs) But why does God do that? I believe because he loves to hear from his creation. That's why he wants to hear from you. He wants to hear what your version of this is. He wants to hear what you think is the best solution to this. But don't get shocked if he goes, nah. Be ready to pray another way. Look for something else. So anyway, I think these little kind of something where he convinces a third of heaven, we can take this guy. Now, nobody goes to war thinking they're going to lose. Nobody does. The only reason, yeah, you wouldn't go. Let's all go die. I uh, know. Everyone's convinced, we can do this. We can, we can beat these guys. It, in fact, it's it was always fascinating whenever you look at history, uh, the north and the south when they went to war, these guys, thought, both sides thought it was going to be over in a few weeks. When the Germans and the, and, and the French were going at it and they started that, man, they thought it was going to be over. And no way did they see being in trenches for all those years and a million people dying horrible deaths. I mean, everybody thinks they can do it. There was something about the way God presented himself that made them think we can take him. And I am convinced it was that. Can I prove it? No. This is Marky's theory. Love to hear what you think, but this is what I think. All right. So anyway, Satan finally says, all right, let's go. So they start this thing to overthrow God, and they come, rah! Well, God just flicks them like a booger out of heaven. I mean, you know, it's just, I don't think it was much of a conflict. I think, I think they were so shocked. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven. Like a lightning bolt. God just kicked them in the rear. Boom! And they landed on this rock. Isn't that amazing? Now, that's why it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Does God create things void and empty and destroyed? No, he creates beauty. But God created the heaven and the earth, and the next verse, and the earth was without form and void. What happened? Something happened between verse one and verse two. They just skip over it. I think this is the fall of Satan. I think they, he hits this rock, and it devastates this place. It destroys everything. Maybe that's where all the dinosaurs, maybe there was life like that before. And all of a sudden, all that stops conjecture on my part. Don't tackle me, all right? <laughs> Here's my theory. All I know, what I do know, is he hits this rock. And now, what has been proved at this point? Is God right? Does he care? Does he love? Does he know, Has any of that been established, really? No. All that's been established is that he's stronger. So in a sense, there's this question hanging out there. Everything Satan accused God of, there's this big question mark in eternity. And everybody's waiting for God to look at him, what's the next step? Because Satan and these guys, they're part of their condemnation. He only did is kick them out, and he's, they all know they're going to be tormented for eternity. Do you remember when you're reading the Gospels? I gotta hurry up here. I thought I'd do this in 15 minutes. What a fool. Anyway, so... <laughs> When, when, the, when the demons would run into Jesus, remember when they cry out, are you here to torment us before the time? They weren't going, oh, hi, how'd you get here? You know, <laughs> right? They saw, gee, they knew who he was right away. Ah! You're here to torment us. Because they know that's what's coming. They all know it's coming. All the angels of heaven know it's coming. So all this happens, and then quiet. And then God comes And he rolls back the waters, dries out the ground. He says, let there be light. Turn on the light. Let there be life. And if you'll read the account, it talks about uh, replenishing the earth. Why would you replenish something if it had never been replenished before? So I think there was life there. And then, boom, this thing happened. And then we get this new life, which... Really doesn't go back all that long. It's sort of not millions of years like the evolution. Now, the earth might have been here for gazillions of years. We don't know. All we know is from the time of this account, it's only been about seven, 8,000 years, according to biblical terms, which messes with these people. But that's because people don't understand there's the difference between what was here for whoever knows how long, what life was here for whoever knows, and what happens after this. So he rolls back everything, and now the earth is full of life again. And then God makes Adam and Eve and puts him in a garden. And I can't help but think that all of heaven is going like, what's he doing? <laughs> I don't know, ask him. I ain't asking him nothing, man. You ask <laughs> him. What is going on? Well, then Satan comes. He tricks these guys. It probably took no effort on it. But remember, he just talked a third of heaven into doing stupid. It was nothing to talk to these two little nitwits into doing wrong. And they sin against God and And now mankind goes along and for the last thousands of years God has been answering the question, do I care? Is my way better or is Satan's way better? All of eternity is watching this. Every time Satan has his way, it ends in death, destruction, war, disease, famine. It's horrible, the worst of the human experience. Is when people do it Satan's way. But then you got these guys that come along, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they start doing it God's way. And they start to be blessed and they start to succeed. And God shows up and does wonderful things. And then, of course, we're going through that now on Sunday morning about the Old Testament experiences. But then Jesus comes. And now God forever answers the question, does God care? And everybody's watching. The Bible says, if Jesus would have so much as called out, 10,000 angels would have showed up. Kick those Romans, set him free. They were like horses at the Kentucky Derby waiting to get through the gate. And he doesn't say a word. And he dies. And he does that for all of you. All of us. He does it for me. And now, even since then, People's lives live out the difference between people who follow Christ now, particularly, and the blessings they live, and all this, stuff, and how God helps them succeed, answers their prayers, and people who don't. Heaven is watching all of this, and this whole thing's about to come to an end. I don't know how much longer this is going to last. I don't think it's going to be that much longer. Even if I said 500 years, that's not much longer compared to how long everybody's been on this rock. It might be a lot less. It be like 50 days for all I know. But what is happening? is the question is being answered forever. This rebellion will never, ever happen again because now all of eternity has seen what happens when you do it God's way and when you fight against God. And they're going to be looking at this. And if anyone ever asked the question, does God care? Does God really? I'm sorry for the TV guys. I'm getting out of the light. Follow me. Whenever, throughout eternity, if it ever happens again where they ask the question, does God really, someone comes along, does God really love us? He's going to take her. And he's going to say, yeah, look at this. And he's going to take you. He's going to look at this. And he's going to take you and bring you up and say, look at this. We are forever the testimony Throughout eternity, that is forever going to end the question, does God care? Because if anyone has that question, God's just going to send them to you. Man, go to Mark. Oh, yeah, he cares, man. You should have seen me. <laughs> I, was, I was a mess, man. I just... And that's what he says here. He's doing all of this in verse 7, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace because we now are going to be forever the testimony that settles the question does God know what he's doing does his way work and does he really care about his creation and we will forever be the testimony the answer is yes yes and the question is God doesn't even have to defend his own testimony he'll point Him to us Oh, that's so cool. (laughs) All right, we're going to end on that and go back. (laughs) And we'll come back in the fall and pick it up from there. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we are so grateful that we are taken out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. In our experiences, our lives, all of heaven is watching. God, help us to live this thing out successfully, honoring you, that we might forever be testaments to the care, the patience, the grace of God. Because, Lord, those who follow you and do things your way will always be blessed. Thank you, God, that forever these questions will be settled, that never again will there be someone like Satan coming along challenging, do you really care? Because you showed it when you sent Jesus on that cross to die for all of us. And for this, we are so grateful. Bless all of us, Lord, all those watching by us on our campuses in Stevens Point and Appleton. Bless all those guys, this whole church family. May this summer be a wonderful time. Protect everybody, Lord, as we're having fun doing stupid things, boating and skiing and whatever that we do. Lord, help us be a time that will take time to connect with other people and hang out and fellowship and... Just build our community and we look forward to coming back again in September to continue the study of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming. Have a great summer.